What's up, guys? Welcome back to In My Non-Expert Opinion. I'm your host, Chelsea Reif, and this podcast focuses on lifestyle, wellness, beauty, business. Lately, it's been a lot about traveling and living life on your own terms. So today's guest is Nicole Lopin, the author of the most recent book called Becoming Superwoman, which just dropped this week. She's also written Rich Bitch, and she's a media personality. She's been on a ton of different outlets and shows covering finance. But what's interesting is Becoming Superwoman is not about finance. It actually completely peels back the current of what was going on during her rise to, you know, quote unquote fame, what she was going through in terms of emotional wellness, uh, mental wellness, just everything. You might have thought, what is Chelsea talking about? Like this girl's life looks so amazing on Instagram. She's traveling. She's an author. She's an independent woman. Like what was possibly missing? Well, she's human too. And so becoming superwoman really broke that barrier down to, yeah, you can have it all, but what does that actually mean? And so all her chapters are really easy to follow. We actually cover quite a few of them, but we also want to make sure that you read the book yourself because it's so insightful. I read it right before I went to Bali and I am telling you, it was perfect timing because when I was about to go to Bali, I was like, okay, what the hell am I doing? I just left a steady job, a loving family, a supportive group of friends. Like, did I leave something really good behind for no reason? Is this actually what I'm supposed to be doing? And reading this book just reassured me, you can live life however you want as long as you're taking care of yourself and you have good intentions. So this book is amazing. You guys have to check it out, Becoming Superwoman, and read all of Nicole's other books. You can find her again online on Instagram. She's all over with not just financial advice, but tips on just living life to your fullest, but also making sure you have that self-care element involved. We can only take care of ourselves before we take care of anyone else, and she loves to explain that, especially in this interview. We'll get into all that. Regarding my updates on Bali, I was going to update you guys in the intro, but I just felt like this specific experience was so intense that I want to actually do a whole bonus episode. I've been keeping you updated on like the fun, light little things going on and the culture and the differences. But if you can imagine doing yoga every day for 25 days, learning about philosophy, looking inward, there was a lot going on outside of just, you know, working out on the mat and eating good food. So I want to do an entire separate episode on that. So stay tuned for that bonus episode on Bali. I'll update you guys with my new life events in Sydney. There's quite a few things going on. But again, that is going to be an entire new episode. And I'm going to start doing a little more of those. So let me know if you like those solo casts, as I saw someone call it recently. And I will do more of those so you guys can hear about the updates. With that, let's dive into the interview with Nicole Lopin, the author of Becoming Superwoman. Going to Bali to do yoga teacher training. Wow. Um, yeah, I'm excited about that. It's going to be, like I said, it's going to be quite the spiritual journey, um, but I'm going to do that. And then I'm just going to figure it out. I don't want to go with a really set plan because I've never even been to Australia. Um, so, but I know I'll like make ends meet. It's just a matter of getting over there and actually figuring out what I want to do. Um, well, I love everything about that. I went to Bali. Is that in my, I don't know how much we cut out. I cut out a lot of the book. Um, it actually is the ebook. I think we turned one of these chapters of when I did my eat, pray, love thing and went to Bali. And then that led into a whole bunch of other shit. Um, it, I turned that into an ebook cause it felt like it was, it didn't make sense so much the way the book turned out. So I'll send that to you. Yeah, yeah, because it was sort of like, I wanted to do, um, 
like all the stuff that I did, you know, I'm was lucky enough to have the resources to do it. But a lot of this stuff is like super expensive. A lot of these institutes, a lot of this, like, you know, whatever, like Hoffman Institute and Esalen and and stuff and ball, like all of that. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to just take really good notes. And then I'm going to give women like the cliff notes version who either don't have the money or, or can't like go and do this year thing like I did. Um, and so I'm just going to like give it, give them what they need to know without the price tag. Um, and so it ended up just not, to- so I don't even know how much ended up being in the final copy, but um, I'll send that to you. And it's sort of like a guide um, of what, what like the gist is like the cliff notes version of all those things. Oh my God. That would be amazing. Cause I've also never been to Bali. So I am looking for any and all resources and insight and background. Like that would be perfect. Bali's amazing. Um, so I have low expectations about pretty much many things in life. That's the only <laughs> truth I know in wall street. All I learned about in like the money world is that, companies need to beat low expectations um, in order to be be successful. Like if you tell Wall Street you're going to make $10 of profit and you end up making 20, they're super stoked. But if you tell them you're going to make $10 of profit and you make five, they're really pissed. And so, um, and then the same thing happens with like dudes and stuff like that. When you think you're like going to marry them right away and then you become disappointed when you like, you know, when you have a text thing after you meet somebody on an app or whatever, and you're like, Oh my God, I'm like, this is my soulmate. And you meet them in real life and you're like, Oh my God, I'm so disappointed. Um, yeah, you know, that's happened to me every time I've done that. <laughs> totally. I just had this conversation with a girlfriend and she's like, I haven't met him yet, but he's so amazing. I'm like, you need to like slow your roll, like pump those brakes because yeah. you'll be so much more disappointing when you meet. And you're like, I, t- I just made up this whole story in my head. Um, and so, and, and with life too, you know, in other senses, but with Bali, like I always wanted to go and I put my, my only out of office message on my email that I've ever done ever in my life. And I was like, bring on the eat, pray joke, um, eat, pray, love jokes. Like I'm in Bali bitches. It's the trip I've always wanted to take, like whatever. Anyways, yeah. Bali's amazing. I have many things to tell you. If you haven't read actual eat, pray, love recently, go back and read it and remind yourself that there are only four names in Bali. Okay. So I need to definitely read that. In all honesty, I haven't read it. I just call it my you pray oh, love journey. Yeah. Like, read it. Yeah. So I actually reread it on the plane on the way there. And I stopped in Australia. I, I went from that. Where are you based? Are you in LA? I'm in Orlando, Florida right now. Oh, amazing. Um, yeah. So I read it on my way there and I remind it like reminded me that there's literally like because otherwise you'll be really confused. I know this is yeah. a random pro tip, but there's like Naoman, Katoot, uh, I don't know. There's four. So it's based on your birth order. So like if you're first born, your name is always Katoot. If you're a boy oh, wow. or a girl, like it's fucking Katoot. Or I, don't, I think it is. Or Mayot, Mayot. There's anyway. So then, if you're second born, your name is whatever. If you're third born, your name is the other thing. And then the fourth. And then if you have five kids, you go back to the first name. And so you could like be married to the person that has the same name as you. Like your dad could have the same name. Like it's all sorts of. I, I like had no idea. Yeah. So that I just 
I know this is like not maybe what you were expecting me to say, but it was the best pro tip that I remind like was reminded of from the book. And so that was super helpful. Cause I was like, you know, the guy who picked me up at the airport or whatever was like, Kachoot. And then the guy who checked me in at the hotel was like, Kachoot. I'm like, oh my God, that's so crazy. You guys are both named Kachoot. And they're like, um, you're an idiot. What's that? And you're like, what a big surprise. Like, wh- why is everyone, what a coincidence? And they're like, you're like, you're an idiot. Um, yeah. So just remember that anyway, but you'll, uh, it's, everything is like pretty, it's so beautiful. People are so nice. There is a lot of random trash that's like burning on the side of the road. But beyond that, it's, um, it's like people are so poor, but so nice. And it really just reminds you like kids on the street that like barely have anything, have like no teeth and stuff or like smiling and so happy. Like I thought it was fake happy, but people are like legit happy there. That's what I heard. Actually, my friend said that his uncle bought a house there and apparently he got sick. And if you get sick and the people know you, they'll literally come every day and bring a care package to yeah. your door. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. Totally. Like, like offering whatever. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And then they like pray. Like, it's so funny. I went to these healers, like these old school medicine men that are like 105 years old. And they did all these checks on me and like laid me on some aw- awkward rug and like put like weird things in my ear of like oil. I don't know. Anyway, I was like, great. Do you do all the things? Tell me what's wrong with me. And um, yeah, I feel super passionate. These are some of the things that I wish I knew. I went there and I, I talked to these medicine dudes and um, I was like, I'm going to figure out what's wrong with me. There's so much wrong with me. Like they're going to diagnose me and they're going to give me all the answers. And he was like, there's nothing wrong with you. You just have a busy mind or they, the way they say it is so funny, like busy mind. And I don't know. You probably tell everybody who comes from New York the same thing. Like, so you're you're basically saying that I'm stressed, right? And what's super interesting is that stress they consider just as serious of an ailment as anything else, cancer, you know, any physical um, diagnosis. And so I remember them telling me very dramatically, like. There was a guy who was stressed and wasn't present with his kids. And then we gave them like three chickens and all these offerings and we prayed for their family. And that was no joke like that because they take stress and not being present and mindful as seriously as anything else, which is an amazing perspective to have. That is truly, like you said, amazing. I can't even, like, I'm in shock right now because I'm, like, as serious as cancer, but it's true. Like, it causes all the other issues that end up manifesting in your life. It 100% does, I will tell you, even right now. And even though I wrote the book on balance, um, I felt like I was relapsing probably, like, six months ago. And I actually pushed... I'm not sure if you read the epilogue of the book. I wrote an epilogue. Yeah. Um, wait, sorry. Do you said yes or no? Yeah. And you pushed the published date back, I think. Yeah. And so I reread the book and I was like, cause I felt almost like I had imposter syndrome again. I was like, wait, I'm slipping again. I'm feeling like shit. I have chronic hives. Like there's no other, I've never had chronic hives in my life, but I was so stressed about this book and 
I could not kick these hives and stuff like that. And I was like, oh my God, I feel like such a fraud. How am I going to tell other women how to balance and be this scion of balance when I am feeling so imbalanced again? How is this possible? And so, yeah, I went back and I, I reread the book myself. You know, those, those commercials when we were growing up of like, the hair club for men or something where it's like, I'm not only the founder, but I'm also a customer. (laughs) That was actually probably one of my favorite parts of the book because everyone has that feeling. And I I remember relating to that being like, should I be talking about this if I'm going through it myself? Or should I post about this if I'm feeling insecure and acting like I'm confident? Like everyone goes through that. I'm, I'm really glad that that resonated with you because I, yeah, I felt like, gosh, how could I be slipping yet again? And I think that that's the thing. It's, you know, it's something that's constantly in motion. It's something that you constantly have to work on. And um, just because I know a lot more than I did before doesn't mean I know everything and doesn't mean I'm like holier than thou in any sort of way. I just think generally, if you have more good days than bad days, you're winning. Absolutely. I think it's interesting to start from the beginning of how you even got to that point. I remember reading the beginning of your book and I was actually shocked to read about your childhood because I heard you first on the Lady Lovin podcast and then I heard you on several others and started following you on Instagram. And Aww. you were eventually the person that people look at as, oh, she has it all together. She probably doesn't have any problems. And then I remember reading the whole backstory about your childhood. Can you actually walk us through what it was like growing up in your household? Oh, now we're doing a podcast, Chelsea. I'm so excited. Now we're not just going talking. Um, yeah. You know, um, this, so by the way... Um, I hope you include this in the podcast. This is my very first interview about the book. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. So I'm now starting my book press tour. So you're wow. I'm so excited. This is amazing. I'll never forget my first. <laughs> so That's let's amazing. figure it out together. Um, let's see. So I, you know, I didn't want to write a third book. Um, I didn't even think I would write a first book, to be honest. I was on TV for a million and a half years and every TV person had a book. And so I thought, oh, I'm going to have a book and I'm going to send it for Hanukkah or Christmas and call it a day. And I checked the box and I have a book because everybody has a book. And it took me 10 years to get a book deal. It was so hard. And I had a bunch of false starts. I had four agents, four book proposals, you know, a deal that fell through because somebody left over the holidays, like all sorts of shit. And so I just thought it wasn't going to happen for me. And Rich Bitch came at a really good time in the zeitgeist um, and also in a really good time for me. The previous ones would have been dead on arrival. I had one that was called Making Bank, which was hilarious. Um, That would have been all things to all people about trying to be super cool and hip about finance. It would have sucked. Um, And I didn't realize that Rich Bitch was going to do what it did. And I didn't realize that this was going to be a bigger part of my business than I imagined. I actually wanted to be a writer growing up. I started as an English major, you know, writing poetry under a tree. I thought that was going to be my thing. And then I realized I actually have to make money. So I went into journalism and then I they didn't tell me that you make $17,000 a year as a journalist. So I didn't necessarily pick the most big bucks industry. But 
I got into this business world, which was like something I hated. You know, I broke out into hives thinking about business. I grew up in a super, super broken home. So that's why I needed to start working early. My father died of a drug overdose um, when I was 11. My mother, you know, peaced out and, you know, didn't really want to be a mom. And I hid from a lot of my childhood trauma through work. So I just self-prescribed work. And so I just worked all day, every day and twice on Sunday. And I got to my goal of being an anchor on CNN way earlier than I expected at 21. I started there. And um, then I just kept going instead of retiring. And, you know, I came up with new goals. And when I was there, the financial crisis hit. And so we all became financial reporters or business reporters. And then I came to CNBC and started talking to a lot of old rich white dudes about business and finance. Um, and I was so depressed and I was like, I'm making these rich dudes richer. This is not what I want to do with my life. And it was from that pain that came, you know, the nugget of what rich bitch was, which was talking to my former self, the girl who's totally clueless, whose boyfriend dumped her because she couldn't talk to his Wall Street friends about money. Like the girl who needed what I knew then about a decade later. And I became a writer, just not the kind I expected. And what that taught me is that you need to really figure out how to love the shit out of what you do and not necessarily do what you love because not everybody has the luxury to do that. I know a lot of entrepreneur experts say like YOLO, FOMO, I don't know, whatever other acronym there is, like just go burn your bra, like go make an alpaca farm, like, just do it now. And it's like, yeah, actually, I got to have to pay my bills, homie. Right. And so I, you know, I figured out how to make this opportunity I had something that I, could love. And then boss bitch came right away. And, you know, writing a book is not a side hustle. I actually wrote about that in boss bitch. Um, I said, you know, a lot of people come up to me and say, I want to write a book. I have a book in me. Like everybody has a book in them or everybody in LA has a script in them. And it's not something that if you want to do well, you can do casually. It takes all of you. And so with boss bitch, I, you know, I, it came out right away. I didn't, I didn't even have time to think about it. Um, and as I was promoting that, I just, I, I couldn't even like, I didn't even know my name. I was changing in Ubers seven times a day. I was sleeping, you know, three hours a night. I was running on coffee and green juice and I just crashed. I totally, totally physically, mentally, and emotionally burned the fuck out. And I had to be hospitalized in in an emergency hospitalization. And I just needed to rethink everything. And at the time, what's interesting is that I had a, another book deal percolating, which was something totally different than this. And I was like, I can't do this again. This is what brought me to this, the lowest point in my life. People from the outside would not have thought that I had hit rock bottom. They thought, oh my God, this is like some badass, like New York Times bestselling author teaching badassery to other women. And I was in the psych ward. Like nobody knew that. Um, And I needed to decide, like, could I do this again? Um, 
and use the platform that I had if I was going to do it again to make a difference as cliche as that sounds. Um, because that's the only way I'm going to jump back in this ring to the thing that brought me to my lowest point. And so I realized, you know what, my philosophy has always been, I'll show you mine if you show me yours. And I will stop this monologue very soon. I promise. <laughs> You're like, um, hello, this needs to be a conversation. Stop talking, bitch. Um, <laughs> but to answer your question in a super thorough, hopefully, and long winded way to say, you know, I didn't expect to write a first, much less a second, much less a third, much less this topic. But I felt that if I was going through this, so many other women were. And the only way I know how to tell a story is to tell it honestly. And I've achieved a bunch of cool shit in my life and I reached my goals earlier on. And right now I give actually negative fucks. Like negative fucks. <laughs> negative fucks. That's perfect. So I'm like, you know what the, the best way, if I'm going to do it, I'm just going to get like super naked. I'm just going to tell it all because, you know, my reader at this point, and I didn't even know I'd be an author. Um, like she can tell. Anyone can tell when you're being real or if you're hiding something. So I'm like, you know, I'm going to tell everything. I'm going to tell about my shitty childhood of like this hell I went through this. I didn't even know what I had. I, you know, I would go through ups and downs a lot in my life. I was misdiagnosed a lot with depression and bipolar. And I was just struggling for answers of like, why am I struggling behind the scenes so much? And through this, I realized that PTSD is not something just war vets have. And I had severe trauma growing up. And it was something I never, never dealt with. I just, I just worked and I self-prescribed work. And then it kicked my ass. And my breakdown, I say in Becoming Superwoman, wasn't so much the spontaneous combustion, even though it was around the second book tour I had. But it was a lifetime of smoldering embers that finally caught fire and truly incinerated everything in its path. And that's how I felt. And then I needed to, you know, start planting some new seeds. So what were you actually doing that caused you to end up in the psych ward? Because when you're talking about it, some people might be like, oh, well, that sounds stressful, but I'll take a yoga class or I'll just start drinking smoothies and it'll get better. Like what was the actual event or scenario that they were like, you need to actually go to the psych ward and get evaluated because this is not where you need to be. Yeah. I got to such a breaking point that I, I was suicidal. I had a full bottle of Ambien that I was going to take. I was just out of my, like, I wasn't myself at all. And, um, yeah, I had basically really scary texts to my best friend and my psychologist and the, EMS came to my house and, um, and I had no choice. And, and what ended up happening is, you know, being in the psych ward at NYU in a hospital, you realize that there are a bunch of people in the hospital that have a bunch of different ailments from cancer and everything else on different floors. And this is that 
and I need to take it seriously. I'm in a hospital for a reason and something needs to change. And I remember sitting there, my, my psychiatrist came, it was like two o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, I have all these meetings tomorrow. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And literally telling her like, we have to cancel. Can you just write this down? And can you tell Ellen to cancel? And my assistant, like, I have this at 12, I think. And I'm blah, blah, blah. And, and she's just like, you know, none of this matters. And that's when I realized that in your career, you can network your face off. You can go get your MBA. You can take all sorts of certifications. And what is going to affect your career more is none of that. It's if you're in the fucking psych ward and you have to cancel everything, right. it's going to affect it more. That's the biggest asset or liability in your career. And for me, it, it was a liability at the time. And only when I figured out after a couple of years of this journey, how to make it an asset, did I really feel like it could contribute to my success more than any of that other career stuff ever could? Because we have this equation wrong that success is going to make us happy. We think like, when we get there, I'll be happy. When I get to some level of my job, I'll be happy. When I get to some salary, I'll be happy. And then you get there and you, you want something else and you never get your brain to the other side of happiness. So studies show that if you are happy first, you actually achieve more success, not the other way around. Right. That's the biggest misconception because I've even dealt with that where I had a great career. I hit six figures and I got to travel to New York and LA and I was meeting with like executives at brands. And I was like, wait, this still isn't it. Like, isn't there supposed to be some magical moment that you're like, okay, this is it. Now I'm happy. And it's, it's like, no, just that one moment is not going to define your happiness. And that's something that's so interesting that you talk about in the book. And, and I'm loving that you're saying like, it's not, that's probably the biggest misconception that Americans have. Totally. I think it's, it's something that we fall into as almost an escape from actually looking at where we are in terms of happiness and balance because you're like, Oh no, I'm just going to distract myself again. Here's another career smoke bomb I'm going to throw. Um, and I'm not going to sit with myself. You know, what was the craziest part of going through the journey that what that took me from the rock bottom of the psych ward to where I am right now was sitting with myself. It's like sitting in your shit and that's what you're going to do. I'm, betting when you're off in Australia and off in Bali, you're going to have to sit with some of those stuff. That's not like super comfy, cozy, and it can get dark. Like you have to actually deal with it instead of distracting yourself constantly. Yeah. And that's why people are like, Oh my God, it's going to be so fun. Like and I'm like, I'm not going there and like riding on kangaroos and doing backflips in the water. Like I'm going to have to actually like, especially in Bali, journal and sit down and be like, okay, what is coming up that I haven't addressed in 20 plus years? And like you said, it's not like easy, breezy, beautiful. It's probably going to be extremely emotional. And it sounded like for you that manifested in the form of that breakdown. Yeah, I, I got to a place where I had avoided all the way to break down. And then I had to confront it. I had to 
look my problems in the eye. I had to name them. I had to cope with them. I had to figure out coping strategies and I needed to not keep distracting from the work that I had totally avoided for so long. Like self-care was not a thing for me ever, 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 ever. And like self-care not being in yeah, the, the smoothie or a yoga thing, like that's not balanced. Just because I hear women say this all the time. I've actually done a bunch of studies around this that say, yeah, I'm balanced. Like I do yoga once a week or I veg out and watch Netflix all Sunday. Like that, that's just a shot in the arm. Um, true balance and true coping is much deeper than that. And I'm not suggesting, I certainly get that people don't have the luxury to, you know, go off and you know, do an eat, pray, love year or whatever. Um, but there are ways that you can incorporate true self-care into your day-to-day life in an, in a way that's not, you know, a quick fix. Um, because that will come back to bite you. I, I had to commit to therapy. I had to like trauma therapy, let me tell you, that is not fun. There is never a day where I'm like, hey, Chelsea, you know what I want to do is like go to trauma therapy or go get a colonoscopy. Like there's never a fun day for either of those things. Right. <laughs> but in order for it to get to a better, it, in order for you to get to a place of true balance, you have to go through that shit. And that's, I think that's why we avoid so much because it's not it's not awesome to actually have like super, super intense self-awareness to look at like who you really are and mm-hmm. what your truth really is. Oh, absolutely. I remember that reminds me, I, I talked about this in other podcasts, but I went to therapy for a year and at first I didn't tell anyone cause I was like, no, this is for like crazy people. And I'm, you know, I don't want people to think I'm depressed or anxious because I'm not like just getting super defensive. And I remember almost every single time I went, I cried. It wasn't like I was like, yay, today is another therapy session. Can't wait. But I got so much out of it that I ended up telling my coworkers where I was going every Wednesday. And like the entire office was like, oh yeah, I go too. I love therapy. And I was like, wait, what? Like, am I crazy? Like I thought I was the only one that needed it. And they're like, no, I love going. And I I realized that's when the the importance of t- literally, like you said, facing your shit is so important because it's easy to walk around and just go through the motions and be like, I'll deal with that later. I'll sleep it off. I'll go to yoga. Like if you have to be like, what is causing me this? Like, why do I feel like this? That's not fun, but doing the work is so worth it. I 100% agree. And what's interesting about what you said is that when you shared that you were going to therapy, because I think the stigma that I felt for a long time too. Like the first time I went to a psychiatrist's office, like I wanted to wear a trench coat and hide. And like when I got medication, like I put the label off of it. And it's this ridiculous stigma that, you know, antidepressants is the most prescribed medication in America. Um, So many of us are dealing with the same thing that we don't talk about. And we're so not alone, even though we, it's such an isolating feeling. And so when you opened up about that, you know, it's so interesting that you found other women who are like, yeah, duh, I love therapy or like, I'm also on something or whatever. And I think that's the point. Like in order for us to get through the stigma, we have to, as shitty as it may feel and as 
you know, I don't know, like all the things that you felt like shame and all of that around going to a therapist or being on medication or struggling or having anxiety or having depression, you know, we are all dealing with something. And so when you open up, you give license to other people to do the same thing. And I think that therapy, you know, yes, you had the same feelings that I did. It's like, I'm weak, you know, I mess. that's for really crazy people. Like, you know, that's for the, the wackadoodle, you know, person that's like, you know, I see on the street or something. Um, which I shouldn't even say that. That's so insensitive of me. Because somewhere along the way in movies or something, I don't know, it became like this idea that you have to go to therapy to cure like a crazy part of yourself, which is so untrue. Well, we work out so many other parts of our body and our lives. We should be working on that, even when times are good. That's the one of the biggest things that I've learned. Um, even if I've gone through this process, because I got cocky, I was like, "Oh my god, I did so 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 much work." Like I only hyper focused on this. I over indexed on all this self care and all this therapy. I'm good. Like I'm good. I'm writing a book on it. Like I'm <laughs> I'm on it. I'm on the balance game. I'm winning the balance Olympics, and. <laughs> And then I realized, and then I got like, I stopped going and I was like, I'm good. I'm cured. I'm done. Bye. Um, and then I realized that you actually have to put this in the bank. Like even when times are good, it's not a triage moment to go to therapy. Um, in the same way as like, you know, when you go to the gym, it's, it's, I mean, for me, that's also hard because I'm like, oh yeah, when I, when I get to a good place where I feel in shape, like I'm not going to go to the gym. And then what happens? Like, then you go back when you're like, holy shit, I can't close my pants. Um, you, you know, you don't want to get into that mode of it just being in like the worst case scenario because therapy is like, is just something that is a, is something that you should do even when you're not in crisis mode, which was a oh my God, for me before. No, I'm so happy you said that because <laughs> there were days where I would email my therapist and just be like, you know what? I'm feeling good today. I, I don't have any problems. Like I don't need to come in. And she's like, you know, that's probably the best time to come in because you're not distracted by a work move or a career or like a, a boy. Like we should be talking when you're feeling like, quote unquote, like level set it and, and happy. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm fine. I don't need to come in. And she's like, no. And I discovered those were some of my biggest breakthroughs were when it was like kind of a flat line of non-emotionalness because I was like, okay, now we're getting to the real stuff. It's not a boy or a, like I said, work or family. It's like, let's get into the nitty gritty. I love that. And what did you discover during those times, do you think? It was a lot of like weird things from childhood and college, like being in a sorority and there was a lot of pressure to always look good and just thinking about all the things that we were told. And I was like, wait, I didn't realize how much that stuff weighed on me as I got older of, you know, being the best and looking the prettiest and have to be top tier and all these things that like looking back, I'm like, what the fuck were we doing? Like, I don't even know if that's legal. Like it was insane telling girls to like lose weight and wear more makeup. And it's just, you in the moment when you're in college, you're like, oh yeah, this is what you do. And then as you get older, you're like, why am I so insecure about certain parts of my life? And it's like, well, that was beaten into our heads for four years. And that just didn't go away after college. So there was a lot that I uncovered that I just didn't, especially in college. I was like, college was so fun. Like I didn't have any problems in college. And I was like, uh, 
maybe I did. Yeah. And it's stuff that you then sort of also distract yourself with like this faux crisis, right? That's what I found too, that I had gone to therapy pre-breakdown, but I would talk about boy stuff. I would talk about like the stuff of the day and I never got deeper than that. Because I was just like, no, like, let's not do this Freudian stuff. Like, we don't need to, I don't, this has nothing to do with like daddy issues. Like, come on, this just has to do with today. Like, I don't want to talk about all this, like other childhood stuff. Like, don't get all shrinky on me. And I'm like, I just need to deal with this breakup or I need to deal with like this work drama or like how to deal with this friend or whatever. And really that's another form of distraction because you're, you're dealing with that, but it's very surface level. And, you know, some of the, you know, more deep rooted things, like you said, whether it was from college stuff or things you didn't even realize caused you trauma or hangups or other issues that affected your life now, um, you know, the, the best times to do that is when you like are not dysregulated. Right, like distracted. What's interesting though about your story is like you then somehow went from this stage of being in the psych ward where you were like suicidal to then writing a book, which just sounds like an insane transition for anyone listening. Can you talk through the moment you got out of the psych ward? Like what actually was the causing thing that they let you out? And then what you actually did that first day? Like what was that like being like, okay, I need to face this up head on and practice self care? What was the catalyst? So I, when I realized I was in there, um, it was the best and worst place I've ever been in my life. Um, I all of a sudden used all of the organization and focus that I had previously devoted to my career to myself and there's nothing to do there. So there's no phones. Like I don't remember anybody's phone number. So there was like a landline in the cafeteria and, you know, I remember sitting there and writing and like I told you in the beginning, I wanted to be a writer and actually I, so I write every word of the books. Um, I originally, for my first book, hired a ghostwriter and then like another one. And then I fired them and I was just like, fuck this. I'm going to write this. And that's the only way this is going to be done in the way that I want. And so I sat there and I was like, let me rethink my life (laughs) and organize my time and my day. I remember sitting there with paper, um, and a pen in the corner with like black coffee because I'm vegan and there's like no vegan food there. So, or soy milk. So, or almond milk. Yeah. Not almond milk. There's no almond milk in it. No. Um, so, I remember sitting there and like outlined how I'm going to restructure my day. And in order to sort of prove that I had a plan and I could go off on my own and implement this plan and get into a better, healthier zone. I, I boss bitched my day. Um, and I, I put that same hustle into what a new self care regimen was going to look like. 
And I remember the nuggets of the book, like I didn't even know it was going to be a book at the time. I just started writing. I just started, like it was cathartic to me. It was, I started scribbling. This is what ended up becoming the sort of time hack schedule part of the book was just me writing down like, okay, no phone in the morning or whatever. And then eight to nine, you know, you're going to do some, you know, exercise class or some self-care thing. Like I had to break it down and make it my sort of type A brain. I needed to visualize it. I needed to like make a very clear step-by-step thing of what I was going to be doing. Um, and I needed to remind myself of the most basic things. So yeah, I was like, okay, get, there's two times a day you're going to look at your phone. It's going to be this time and it's going to be that time. And, and that's how I just started rethinking everything. And then I, I, I had to go to an outpatient um, hospital for a few months and I, I shouldn't say I had to go. I actually so enjoyed what I did there. Um, in hindsight, of course, I it was a lot of like group therapy. It was something called DBT. It was um, which is dialectical behavioral therapy, which really helped me. Um, and at first, I was like, "Ugh, this like group therapy. I don't want to hear other people's shit. Like, I just want to deal with my own shit." And it was awesomely um, helpful to listen to other people's stories and. And so I started that way and through DBT, it's sort of like class, like you go through um, worksheets and you have homework and you have logs that you have to do and all sorts of stuff. And I was valedictorian of my college and my high school. And I say that not to brag, but to say like, I use that same study skill set, like the Tracy Flick in the front of the classroom into finally myself. Um, so I used those same study skills to try to be the valedictorian of my own life. And I took it really, really seriously. And so through it, I went on all of these retreats and different alternative therapies. And I was just searching for answers, all this woo-woo stuff. Like there was a bunch of books self-help section. I'm like, Oh my God, I don't know. Like, I don't want to meditate. Like I can't, I I can't do all of this stuff. I can't sit around and hug trees. So I was just on my own journey for answers, um, in my type of way where, you know, I wanted like clear, tangible steps of what am I supposed to do? And so I just started journaling. And so then I was like, wow, there's something here. And I felt the exact same way as I felt about Rich Bitch, where I was like, I needed that. I needed just a straight up, like, tell me what the fuck a 401k is. (laughs) Like, I don't want all the other nonsense. Um, Right. And I, that, this is what I needed. I needed this. Um, and so I was like, if I needed this and I can't find it anywhere. Um, and there are a lot of amazing experts in this space, but it doesn't really come back to how it affects your work and your career. And that's, you know, mostly my jam and where I built my brand. And I was like, this is a book. This is a book. It has to be a book. It's a a good book. Well, thanks. (laughs) Yeah, no, there's a part that you talk about that's, I think, resonated resonated with me the most is, 
about being selfish because I hear this all the time where people probably listening even right now are like, oh, well, you know, Nicole's been on CNN and she probably has more flexibility in her schedule to actually meditate. Like, I don't have that type of time. And if I were going to take 10 minutes out of my day, it's not going to be to write in a journal or meditate. Like, I'm literally not doing that. What it sounded like you kind of have that mindset of like, I'm just not doing that. What was the thing that you were like, okay, I guess I'll try it. Like you were just so desperate for answers. Is that what caused you to do it? And um, similarly, like, what do you think about people that have that mindset of like, that's being selfish. I don't have time to do that. So the selfish thing is so interesting. Um, I'm writing an essay about that right now. Um, We hear, especially for women, the term selfish is... A criticism. And if you look up selfish in the dictionary, it's taking care of yourself. Now, the way it can be a criticism is if you're hurting others. So let's not hurt others. But what really is a criticism or should be a criticism is being selfless because that's not taking care of yourself at all. And they don't say put your oxygen mask on first before helping others on the plane just to fill time before takeoff. And I I didn't understand that that was going to ultimately help me. I didn't know that a date with myself was like a meeting, you know, I would always cancel those first. And so with the meditating stuff, I just figured out a different way to do it. You know, I rethought what meditating felt like to me, the connotation of it was like some Om Shanti stuff, like, you know, why am I going to either pay people to go sit in silence or like pay an app of some dude chanting to me, like, it's not my jam. I can't do this. And then I rethought, um, you know, what actually is meditating. And I just realized that it's something that you can focus on solely and not think about all the other bajillion things you need to do in your to-do list. And so what I really like to do is learn new things and take new classes. So I was in New York, um, you know, right after I got out of the hospital and trying to rethink what I was doing with my life and how I was going to tackle this self-care thing. Um, And so I started taking one-off random classes. I took like a latte art making class. I took an archery class. I took a tomahawk throwing class. I took a dream catcher making class. I took like all sorts of random shit and so much fun, girl. You got to come. And when you go to Bali, you're going to do all that stuff. Totally. Oh yeah. The latte one sounds amazing. So good. And by the way, making a latte is so hard. So like tip your barista, like, whoa. Um, Good to know. Yes. It's like, I went in there super cocky thinking like, oh, I'm going to make like all the birds and the hearts and all that stuff. Like it's really hard to even foam the milk and then pour it with that contrast. Anyway, the, the reason I knew that is because I focused on that while I was there. All I did was focus on that damn foam and, you know, how to make the latte. And what I realized is that that's meditating for me. That's meditative. I'm focusing on a repetitive motion. I'm only thinking about that. Um, and I'm not thinking about the bajillions of other things. And so for me, it doesn't look like the Om Shanti stuff. It looks like taking a random art class or taking a random thing. Um, and for me, that's meditating and there's no, like, I don't know, Buddha that's going to come down and like punch me because I'm not doing it right. Like this is just what works for me. Right. And I think with like the, the making time thing, you know, you don't, 
it's, it's so funny to me when people say like, got to make time or like find time. Like where is time hiding? It's like not a hide and go seek thing. You're not like looking <laughs> at the couch. Like where are you time? Like yeah, you, you know, and I know it's like a meme that everybody posts and reposts and it's, you know, you have the same number of hours in the day as Beyonce and Michelle Obama and every other badass. And it's, I think that managing your time is more valuable than managing your money even. And this is coming from a money expert or journal. Um, And so I think time is your most valuable asset. You can always get more money. You can't get more time. And so the, the whole, I need to find time thing is like hilarious to me. Um, You don't, you just need to organize it in a way that allows you to do the thing that you say is really important to you. Because for me, I started replacing the, I don't have time line that I would say, and I'm sure you say, and everybody does, um, with that's not a priority. And then I started thinking, wait a minute, then what is a priority? So it's like, I don't have time to work out. Okay. Well then instead of saying that, maybe you should say like working out is not a priority. And then that's really like, wait a minute, is working out not a priority? Then what the fuck is a priority? Is it playing on Instagram for three hours? Like, yeah, of mindset. I didn't even think of that. But like you just said, I used to say that too. Like, I can't work out. I don't have time. And saying saying it out loud, you're like, mm, maybe I do. Right. So what is like, then how are you spending your time? Like do an audit of really what's going on in your day. And is, uh, so when I was going through, you know, taking control of my schedule and self-care time, I got off all social media apps. You know, I have a, a chapter in becoming superwoman about digital detox that I went through in a in a sort of a boot camp way to try and get a healthier relationship with social media and apps and time sucks and other distractions in check. And so for a long time I couldn't even log in on my phone. I used a desktop. I just created a bunch of self, you know, safeguards from myself so I could, you know, do it in a way that I wasn't spending so much time on it. And I felt like withdrawal symptoms when I got off Instagram at that time, I was like, Oh my God, I felt like I was getting off black tar heroin. <laughs> I was like, I, I need to go to rehab. What is this? And then, so after this digital detox, I mean, you did a ton of different self-care things in the book. Like, um, I think you talked about Ayurvedic medicine and how do you say it? equine therapy, equine therapy with the horses. Horse therapy, yeah. <laughs> Horse therapy. I don't know how to say the I word. So <laughs> what was some of your favorites out of all the things that you tried? I really liked the equine therapy. So I went to this place called Miraval um, and it taught me everything I know about boundaries. I learned from a horse and boundaries come in to work stuff. I would say in such an important way that we often think about boundaries when it comes to our, you know, our significant other and our family and stuff like that. But work boundaries are something that people don't talk about. And so I wanted to bring all of this stuff back to career too. And when I was playing with a horse, um, I realized that the horse is a mirror for you. It's not actually about the horse. The whole point of this therapy is that it reflects how you are in relationships. Are you, you know, I went into this 
the point of an exercise was to walk a horse around a ring. I think it's called a ring. I'm like, don't quote me on all this horse stuff, but, um, you're supposed to take like a training whip and guide a horse around a ring. And I volunteered to go forward first. I was like, this is easy. Um, no problem. And so I went in and I start petting this horse and I'm like, we've got this. I love you. You're so great. And the trainer was like, the horse doesn't understand English. (laughs) And do you get, do you try to get people to like you a lot? And I was like, oh my God, this shit is about to get so real. (laughs) And I was like, oh my gosh, maybe I just want everybody to like me so much that I'm trying so, so, so hard into the gate. And then there was no turning back. And what I realized is that I went along with where the horse was going without having my own clear intention and setting a boundary because the horse actually needs like a certain distance. You can't be too close. You can't be too far. You need a certain distance from the horse in order to show it where it needs to go and lead it in the direction that you want it to go. The horse started going in the other direction. And I said to the trainer, which I then realized was a psychologist in disguise. um, I was like, well, can I go the other direction? The horse wants to go in the other direction. And she's like, sure. And I was like, well, I just want the horse to be happy, you know? And she was like, okay, is that how you treat your relationships? And I'm like, oh my God. You're like, what's happening? I just came here to walk a horse around. I didn't know we were getting that. I know it got real deep, real fast. And it showed me that, you know, intention and boundaries, even though we hear about it sort of, you know, in articles or in the zeitgeist, like I didn't understand what intentions really were or boundaries really were. And it was such a good reflection of the fact that I didn't have any really. Um, And so it got me to a place where I could really think about what boundaries look like for me in all different aspects of my life and to, to have direction so that I can not necessarily if I'm leading other people, but to like in my personal relationship. So I could explain or talk about what I wanted because I actually knew what I wanted um, instead of feeling wishy-washy to the whims of other people. And so that's what the horse taught me. Wow. That is, who knew that a horse could teach you that much in, in that short amount of time? That's amazing. I want to end with one of my favorite parts of your book, which is the how I am awesome list. Can you explain what that is and then call out like three to five things about how you're awesome and then I'll do the same? Oh my gosh, I love that so much. Um, Yes, I totally can. So, you know, sometimes the biggest enemy is between our ears. We We beat ourselves up so much and we don't talk to our best friends. If they had a bad day or they did something, we wouldn't be like, you suck, you're the worst, you're stupid, you're ugly, you're blah, blah, blah. Like, why do we talk to ourselves like that? It's crazy. And so we don't treat ourselves like our own best friend. And so I carry around a notebook, as I've mentioned, I I have like an old school notebook. Um, And in the back of it, I have a how I'm awesome list. And so during those times, I remind myself of, you know, little prompts. And I know this sounds so, so basic. And it is really simple to do these exercises, but they're sometimes not that easy. They're sneak attack. Um, 
you know, much more profound, I think, because going back and looking at that list has helped me during some difficult times to say, you know, when I was not in a place of conflict or dysregulation or feeling shitty, I told myself how dope I am. And um, so Chelsea, I am awesome because I can um, make amazing homemade almond milk. I, Ooh. yes, this is a new awesome list. I don't even think this one's in the book. Um, and I am awesome because I remember all of like Tupac's lyrics from growing up. <laughs> and I can also give a speech without notes. Wow. That's a, those are three pretty awesome. Ones. Thank you. I'll do mine. I think I'm awesome because when I say I'm going to do something, I do it. And it actually bothers me when people say they're going to do something and don't do it. And I've tried to test myself on that and be like, okay, are you that type of person? And I've noticed I'm not. So I feel like if I say I'm doing something, I'm doing it. And I like that about myself. I, um, let's see. I just learned how to make spicy sweet potatoes since we're going on the cooking thing. I'm someone that never cooked. Like I was a lean cuisine, hop in the oven, quick in and out microwave type of girl. And now I love making these spicy sweet potatoes and I make them all the time. And third, I would say I remember everyone's names and birthdays. And I think that's a good quality to have so that people uh, know me as someone that's thoughtful because I do like to make sure that I say happy birthday and not give a belated shout out. So that's my list. Right I now. love that. I love that so much. <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. It actually, even on the spot, makes you think like, you're like, wait, what am I awesome at? But in a way of almost like, it's kind of therapeutic to be like, okay, outside of surface level stuff, like, what am I actually really good at? And I remember reading your book being like, okay, outside of the like, oh, yeah, I, I, I make my bed or this and that, which are all awesome things. Like, what are some internal things you're good at? And I think that's a good exercise for everyone to do. I think everyone needs to make the awesome list. Yeah, totally. And some of the ones, you know, that were on the list, they started as surface, which is a good way to get into it. Uh, because, yeah. you know, just start somewhere. Like, even if it's the little things that we listed off, the sweet potatoes, the almond milk, like, whatever. Like, those are awesome things. And also the fact that you do what you say. Like, that's some, you know, that's a more introspective thing. And, you know, the, the fact that I also, you know, do what I say I'm going to do as well. And I remind myself of that, that I am a good friend, that I am a good um boss, that I'm a good partner and all of those types of things when I doubt myself. And so I think that how I'm awesome list is a good list to have, especially when you start having jealousy or envy of other people and you think that they're doing, they have more awesome things or they have it all. Like if you have a list of all the things that you have, like that's literally all you have and you do have it all. And it, you can have it all, I believe, but only if you define what that means and you're not measuring your success with somebody else's ruler. Wow. Amen. That needs to all be on like a scripture on a gravestone or something. Is that like the perfect way to describe what you're talking about, especially overall what the book is about? Where can people actually find the book once it comes out? Because like I said, this came at a perfect time in my life, but it's not just because I'm going through a life transition. I think this would have also helped had I not been moving either, but it's just a good time 
to reset what I'm doing with my self-care routine. I'm so glad. Um, I'm so glad. I'm so excited for your journey. And let me know if I can be helpful in any way. If you, um, I will, yes, I will send you the ebook. You can also find it on the website, becomingsuperwomanbook.com, which is where I'll have all sorts of ancillary tools and materials. Um, I'll have the balance school that will come out, which is a video masterclass that comes out along with the book. Um, A journal, the Superwoman journal will be coming out in October, which helps balance and prioritize every day. So I came up with this sort of Weight Watchers type system where you give yourself points every day to different things. Um, So that's like a daily journal. It's kind of like the five minute journal um, to help keep you on track. Um, and then I also have a quiz, the superwoman quiz and all of a bunch of other stuff that I tried to include from my journey that was helpful to me. And hopefully it could be helpful to you too. So yeah, becoming superwomanbook.com will be the hub where all that goodies, all the goodies are. Amazing. What about social media? Where can everyone follow you? You can find me, uh, at Nicole Lappin. I think on all the places. Amazing. You guys need to follow her. You need to read the book when it comes out. I'm so excited for you, especially what you've been through to turn out a third book like this. That is so helpful that you even, it's basically like you tested it out first and then put out the product. That is probably one of the best and most valuable resources that you could have put together. Thank you. It's, you know, there was uh, a member of my team, actually, I'm going to look it up, just sent a quote around to... Um, all of us that said something like, I love when people who have been through hell walk out of the flames carrying buckets of water for those still consumed by the fire. I hope oh, I'm doing that. Wow. Yeah. That is amazing. No, that is so perfect. You are. Oh, thank you so much for doing this podcast. Again, you guys go follow her at Nicole Lappin and the book, get it when it's out and go to becomingsuperwoman.com. Thank you for joining, Nicole. Thanks, Chelsea. You're the best. <laughs> Thanks. You're a superwoman. I don't know about you guys, but I think my favorite part of that interview was the picking out things that I liked about myself because I don't think we do that a lot. Like, when are you ever just sitting there and being like, you know what? I am an amazing friend or I am such a thoughtful gift giver or I'm an amazing listener. We might think that fleetingly and then we might have a negative voice that completely squashes it that will then be like, yeah, but you suck at this and you're not good at that. And remember that one time you said this and it's so toxic to talk to ourselves like that. So I am really trying to focus on that little awesome list and keep adding to it. I think that is a great tip. I think you guys should actually pause right now, like literally stop this right now, go write five things. It could be quick. They could be long. They could be in depth, whatever you want to do that you absolutely love about yourself or think that you're good at and keep it in your wallet. I think that's a really good place to start. You can follow Nicole at Nicole Lapin. That's L-A-P-I-N. And of course, I will link that in show notes. Go buy her book, Becoming Superwoman, so you guys can actually get more in-depth content of what we just talked about. You can follow me at Chelsea Reif or write into the podcast, hello at inmynonexpertopinion.com. Stay tuned for some solo casts coming out, especially about Bali and my time in Australia. And stay tuned every Thursday for new episodes. See you next week. 